0: This is an MPB Think Radio podcast.
1: From MPB Think Radio, this is In Legal Terms, the show all about you and your rights. I'm Liz Gill with Professor Richard Gershon of the University of Mississippi School of Law. We're pleased to welcome to the broadcast Betty Bradley, Assistant Dean for Admissions and Scholarships, and Jason Derrick, Professor and Chair of the Admissions Committee, all at the University of Mississippi School of Law, who will talk with us and answer questions about going to law school. How do you get in? What can you do with a law degree when you finish? It's an encore broadcast from December 3rd, 2019, so we can't take your phone calls. This is In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio.
0: The legal information presented on In Legal Terms is meant to provide general information about the topics discussed, and is not necessarily the opinion of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. The information conveyed does not create any type of attorney-client relationship. Please consult an attorney provider before making any decisions about your specific legal questions.
1: Welcome to In Legal Terms from MPB Think Radio, the show all about you and your rights. I'm Liz Gill with Professor Richard Gershon of the University of Mississippi School of Law. Hello, Professor Gershon.
2: Good morning, Liz, and I'm really happy you had the idea to talk about how to get into law school and why people should attend. And then I, I'm really, really happy that, uh, that Bradley, who's our Assistant Dean for Admissions and Scholarships, and, and Jason Derrick, who's a professor here, who also uh, is chair of our admissions committee, were willing to be on the show today talk about this because they're the experts so why don't we talk a little bit about this um uh, first dean bradley why don't you talk a little bit about uh your background and how you ended up in admissions
3: sure and and thanks so much for having us today um I am from Mississippi and um, went to school here. Graduated from this fantastic law school about 10 years ago, uh, which is hard to believe. Um, and then I went into private practice for um, several years before returning to the law school to teach legal research with Professor Derrick, um, who's our legal writing counterpart. And I was also the pre-law advisor for all of the uni- for University of Mississippi undergraduate students. So during that time, I got to know the student side of admissions very well, which kind of led me to my current position.
4: Fantastic. And Professor Derek, what about you? Um, I actually graduated from this prestigious law school, also a really, really long time ago, uh, and have been teaching legal writing here for, I think this is my 20th year. Um, and I was really happy to discover when I came to law school that writing was such a big part of what we do. Um, I think people often have the idea that it's it's all law and order um, in the courtroom, and it's really much more about writing your way out of problems. Um, and so that's, that's what I've been doing, and I'm pleased to chair the admissions committee and get to do a lot of recruiting for the law school and talk to students about why this is a great place to be
2: well these are two wonderful colleagues and uh, if you know if y'all could talk a little bit about
4: what
2: what are the requirements for getting into law school for example do i have to have a bachelor's degree
3: well you do have to have a bachelor's degree and um, real world experience is very important too but That bachelor's degree is a a requirement um, that the American Bar Association requires for us to remain accredited by them. So we pretty much play by their rules.
2: Right. I think a lot of bars actually require as well that you have to have a bachelor's degree before you can sit for the bar, even if you don't go to an ABA accredited school. Um, But can can we get off the topic a little bit for that? I mean, so... Why is it good to go to an ABA accredited school where ABA accredited Mississippi colleges both schools in Mississippi are? Why is that important?
3: Well, th- that's important because If the school is ABA accredited, then you can sit for the bar in any state in the country. Um, So while many of our students sit for the Mississippi bar and practice here, um, many also go to other states all over the country. And if we weren't ABA accredited, they wouldn't be permitted to do that.
2: Great. Well, and I understand we have a call list.
3: We do, and before we get to
1: Beth from mobile we're ta- we 're we want to remind our listeners that we 're talking about law school, how to get in, how to pay it for it, and we 'll find out if it really is hard to get into law school when we speak with dean bett bradley and also jason derrick chair of the admissions committee and uh, dean bradley is assistant dean for admissions and scholarship at the university of mississippi school of law and if you have a question about law school admissions what to do with a law degree we would love for you to call in at 1-877-MPB-RING that's one 1-877- 877 672 You could also send us an email to our address, legalterms at mpbonline.org. And, Professor Gershon, we do have a call. We're going to go to Mobile, and Beth has called in. Thanks for being a part of In Legal Terms. Go ahead.
5: Hi. Um, my name is Beth, and I am actually a lawyer. Um, and so I kind of wanted to give a little bit of insight. Um, I feel like for me, like law school was just five years ago, but I've actually now been practicing 25 years. And um, I, I like to often give advice to people about law school. Um, and they have to remember, it's it, it's not like a continuation of school. You've got to treat it as if it's almost a job itself. Um, There is a lot of work that you have to do in law school, a lot of reading, and it's not just a continuation of college. Um, and, And I would always caution people about that because I think in that main thing, what you're doing in the three years is you're changing the way you think. And um, more so than learning the law. I mean, you do learn a bit of the law, like what is a contract and some things like that. But it's more a way of changing the way you think. And and people really need to be prepared for that. And also, it is is. a hard profession. It's definitely not what you see on TV. And um, it's not an easy job to leave, um, you know, at, at, at night and put it totally out of your head. Um, But it, it is very rewarding. Um, I do labor and employment law representing management. And so a lot of what I do is not even the, you know, fighting all the time in court. I'm doing a lot of counseling, which is something I really enjoy of keeping people out of trouble before they get in trouble.
4: Hi, Beth. This is Jason Derrick. Um, are you available to come recruit for the last
5: <laughs> <laughs> because, because I think
4: that was all really, really good advice. Yes, um, that was spot on. We, we, we have a, a really broad range of students here at the University of Mississippi Law School, ranging from folks who have just gotten out of college um, to right. what we call non-traditional students. And it's so funny to see how often those non-traditional students cope so much better with law school because they have actually been out in the world. Um, I, so it, I would
5: agree. I, I was a directly to law school person out of college, but I can see how much helpful it would be to have some real-world experience and particularly some business experience Um I was going to be a psychologist, and my father was a lawyer. And when I finally decided to be a lawyer, and he was a labor and employment lawyer, so of course I wasn't going to be a labor and employment lawyer, you know, and here I am now. (laughs) But, you know, one of the things he told me was go learn some accounting. So I did that my senior year of college because that seems to be very important. Lawyers do need to always understand financial things because they've got to always be keeping their clients' financial interests at heart as well.
1: Thank you, Beth. We really appreciate hearing your wise and well learned advice. Thanks for calling in. And then we do have one more call to get to before our break. Let's go to Roger in Florence. Roger, thanks for calling in too in legal terms.
6: Well, thank you for your program. Uh, some of the comments already have, have made me think of a couple of things. When I was, uh, well, I think it was before I was on the bench, I, I did a lot of lecturing on ethics and other things. And one of the things I would remind uh, lawyers of is that we are in the dispute avoidance and dispute resolution profession. And the writing that's been emphasized already this morning is is largely a dispute avoidance. And and alternative dispute resolution, which I was championing 25 years ago, is dispute uh, resolution. You can resolve through uh, litigation, but the uh, avoidance is the most important part. But the reason I called, really, was to ask the question. Uh, I don't know if you have the answer handy, but when I, <laughs> I went to Jackson School of Law at night, and uh, I was 35 years old when I graduated, so I have that life experience that's been mentioned as so bad. But the, <laughs> the question has to do with the fact that I heard lately that there has been some concern over the later passage of the city bar. When I passed the bar, 15% passed. That included people who had taken it for the second, third, multi times because it was, uh, there was a lot of historical political reasons that. 15% but nowadays it, it got up pretty high and then i understand that it has false a little bit i don't know if that's mississippi but the question specifically was how does mississippi for itself passage its rate compared with other states and i'm just going to hang up on this call thank you roger uh,
3: thank you roger uh, yes there has been a national trend in the last few years um Bar passage is down all, all over the country, um, and our our pass rate this past July. So the the Mississippi bar, like other states, is offered twice a year in February and July. Um, our pass rate this past July for first time takers was eighty 88- eight point six percent and of course our goal is for a hundred percent of our students to pass the bar um, but we were pretty proud of the 88.6 percent the do we have the overall pass rate for Mississippi
1: Well, why don't we take a break? And, uh, Dean Bradley, you all can uh, gather some facts and figures to find out what the pass rate is for Mississippi. Um, We are talking with Dean Bradley and Professor Derek, both of the University of Mississippi School of Law. We're talking about law schools, how to get in, how to apply, what you can do afterwards, how to pay for it. Give us a call with your questions. One. 877 MPB ring that's 1 877 672 7464 you could also send us an email to legal at mpbonline.org are more or less people applying to law schools we'll tell you after the break you're listening to in legal terms on MPB think radio on this giving Tuesday Welcome back to In Legal Terms. Not everyone has a chance to listen to our show live. If you've missed any of our program, you can listen to the whole show at our show's website, InLegalTerms.com mpbonline.org It's also available on the MPB Public Media app, as are all our local shows, and it is Giving Tuesday, so if you enjoy this program, if you enjoy our news, if you enjoy the music programs that we have, we would love for you to support us. You can do that at our website, mpbonline.org Professor Gershon is a volunteer here um, but uh, our news program we have to pay for the morning edition and all things considered so if you feel like this makes a difference in your community in the state of Mississippi if you think we are doing a good job we would love for you to support us on Giving Tuesday by going to mpbonline.org I am Liz Gill I'm with Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law, and according to the American Bar Association Journal article, people are applying to law school saw a modest 3.3 increase for the 2019-2020 admission cycles. Across the country, there were 62,427 applicants. This morning, we are talking about law schools, what you need to know before law school, types of students in law schools. Dean Bradley and Professor Jason Derrick, we're pleased to have you, too. What, ha- what information do you have about uh, the Bar Association pass rate that uh, Roger was asking about?
2: Well, Liz, if I can weigh in, the bar pass rates were up this past year. In fact, California just came out with theirs. They were 9% up over the previous year nationwide had been down Uh, and a lot of that was you know law schools like every other uh, industry in a way uh, go through cycles and fewer people were applying so it was you know harder for schools to attract really good students and I think you know that had a factor Um, the recession I think the bar exams they may not admit it but I think they tightened up trying to keep uh, you know fewer make sure fewer lawyers entered the profession I always think they ought to test older people like me to make sure we're still proficient because I think our <laughs> students are graduating, and they're really really strong. And they really, instead of trying to limit the entry to the front end, they maybe ought to weed some of us out at the back end. But that's just my thought. So yeah, overall admissions are now back up and uh, applications are back up, and that's why I'm glad uh, we have our experts here. So you know, what what did we talk about required uh, test? I mean, is there a required test for law school?
3: There is. Um, It's the law school admissions test, test, (laughs) otherwise known as the LSAT, and it's similar to the ACT or SAT. It's the entrance exam required for law school.
4: And it's actually a lot easier now to sort of make a plan ahead of time because it's offered more. I think it was previously offered just four times a year?
3: It was, uh, and now it's offered nine times a year because this past July it went to uh, digital format. So it's fully digital now and offered nine times a year.
4: And it's very possible to to prepare for that test. I think a lot of folks go in pretty cold to take a standardized test but it really pays to put in a little time on the front end to prepare for the LSAT um, because that LSAT score is sort of our starting spot for the admissions process I like to tell students um, that I'm recruiting that it's not the ending point of the admissions process but it gives us a place to, to begin
2: So what do you look at? You look at LSAT and grade point average I'm not sure What other things does the admissions committee look at?
3: Well, we require letters of recommendation, so we weigh those heavily. We really like to see letters from professors um, that have taught the applicant in the past. Uh, We also require a personal statement and resume. So we're looking at all different factors um, when reviewing a file extracurricular activities, that real-world experience that we talked about that can be so beneficial, Um, you know, whether the applicant is a first-generation college student, the diversity that the applicant is going to provide for the class. There are so many different factors that we consider. We really do what we call a, a holistic file review. So, while that undergraduate GPA and LSAT score are really important, um, there are other things that are heavily considered.
4: I think the goal probably of the admissions committee, um, and our, our dean, Susan Duncan, has done a great job of assembling a committee that is is really diverse. I think uh, the, the viewpoints of the folks reading those files are very different, and so we're able to really Assemble a class that reflects a a diverse group of viewpoints, and that's I think probably our primary goal.
3: Absolutely all right,
4: Martin. we
1: have a call who has come in and if you have a question and you'd like to speak with Dean Bette Bradley, the Assistant Dean for Admissions and Scholarships at the University of Mississippi School of Law, and for Jason Derrick, a professor at the U- at the UM School of Law and chair of the Admissions Committee, we would love for you to call or email us. Our number is 1877 MPB ring. That's one, eight seven seven, six seven two, seven four six four. Our email address is legalterms at org, And we're going to go to Mobile. And Camille is on the line. Thanks for calling in today. Camille, go ahead. Uh, thank you very much for
5: uh, hopefully answering this question. If a lawyer in one state is disbarred due to... As a pew to measure measure for some things that he's done, can he go to or she, he or she, go to another state, take the bar exam there, and become a member of the bar there in practice?
2: You know, that's a it's a great question, Camille. Thank you for asking that. Actually, um, that really depends on that bar. And a lot of times, when people are disbarred, uh, you know, they first of all they have to notify any other organization that they apply to, any other bar organization that they've been disbarred or disciplined, even disciplined in another state. It's really then up to that state. Uh, And so it might be that after a period of time, this person shows that they've rehabilitated themselves. I have to say it's going to be a hard process. Once you've been disbarred in one state, it's going to be very, very very difficult to become a lawyer in another state.
5: Well, that's good news, man. Thank you. (laughs)
2: I think we do a pretty good job of policing ourselves, to be perfectly honest. I, you know, it's uh, The bar, we've had uh, Adam Kilgore, who's uh, the counsel for the bar, on, and, and they, they really do. We, we hold our uh, professional standards very high, and uh, we, students here, when they apply to the bar, have to report everything uh, that they've done, speeding tickets, any, any you know, arrest or anything like that. So certainly a lawyer applying somewhere else would have to talk about any drug arrests they had, any felonies, any disbarments. Now let's get back to admissions, and you know, we talked a little bit about the, the, what you look at in a file. I was a pre-med major, you can see how that worked out, and in pre-med we had to take certain classes, I had to take calculus and organic chemistry. Is there such a thing as a really a pre-law major?
3: There is not a, a pre-law major here, There, there is that offering at, at some other schools. Um, you can major in anything and go to law school which is one of the beauties of going to law school Um, we really like to have those diverse viewpoints and perspectives and this is one of the things that adds to that so there are no prerequisites there are no required courses um, we welcome any and all majors.
4: I tell my uh, recruits often when the question is, what should I major in? I think you major in the thing that you enjoy. Mm -hmm. You major in the thing that you really love because you're going to get better grades if you're studying something you enjoy. And uh, that GPA is an important part of our application process. Um, But we've had journalism majors, Chinese majors, uh, biology majors, math majors. I think uh, all of those different perspectives really add to the richness of our class
3: there there are some recommendations that we give to students particularly if you were pre-med and you're used to science classes or business or math or something and haven't had a lot of courses that require a heavy amount of reading and writing um, we recommend you adding some of those courses if you haven't had them uh, because you're going to be doing a lot of reading and writing in law school, and the critical thinking skills that you gain from those classes are, are really important.
2: Well, now you, you mentioned the, uh, the breadth of, of backgrounds that people have. and I, I was excited to hear that we have a 3+ three program with the engineering school. Uh, and how does that work?
3: We actually have three plus three programs with engineering, business, liberal arts, journalism, and legal studies now, which is really exciting. So we've got agreements in place with those undergraduate departments on campus um, that allows students to finish their undergraduate coursework in three years and then come to law school um so their first year of law school is technically their last year of undergrad Um, they receive their bachelor's degree after their first year and it shaves a year off so for students who know that law school is the end goal it can really be beneficial from a financial standpoint
2: well that sounds great and uh you know, um, how does somebody get admitted to that 3 plus 3 program? They have to do it while they're in college, obviously. So how, how would you assess somebody like that?
3: So they would talk to with their undergraduate advisor and department and express their interest in the 3 plus 3, and then their advisor would help them with meeting the undergrad requirements. And and then the admissions process, from our standpoint, is the same as it is for other applicants. There is a place where they would indicate to us that they were 3 plus 3 students, but the admissions standards are the same.
2: Sounds great. Now, Liz, I understand we need to take a break.
1: We do. We're talking with Dean Bette Bradley from the University of Mississippi School of Law and with Professor Jason Derrick, chair of the admissions committee at the University of Mississippi School of Law, about applying to law schools. If you have a question about yourself, maybe you've got some grandkids you've got a question about, we would love for you to call. Our number is 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877- Seven seven six seven two seven four six four 672 7464 for your questions. You could also send us an email legalterms at mpbonline.org One way to choose a law school might be their study abroad programs. We'll tell you about a few when we come back. This is Giving Tuesday, so if you go to uh, the website for MPB, which is mpbonline.org we would love for you to support us. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. Professor Richard Gershon is our resident expert, and we hope you'll subscribe to our podcast. There's lots of different podcasting platforms. I happen to like Podcast Addict. There's also Spotify. You download it to your Android phone. Apple, you already have one. You touch the plus that takes you to the page to search for a podcast. You can type in In Legal Terms in the search area, and it brings up our show. This morning we're talking about law schools, how to get in, what goes on while you're there, what happens when you finish, with our guests, Bet Bradley, Assistant Dean for Admissions and Scholarships at the University of Mississippi School of Law, and also with Professor Jason Derrick, Chair of the Admissions Committee at the University of Mississippi School of Law. Now, when you're selecting a law school, maybe you want to pick one that has a field of study you're interested in or that has a study abroad program. Tulane University Law School has two study abroad programs. One that's held in Rhodes, Greece, that's co sponsored by the Aegean Institute of the Law of the Sea and Maritime Law, where students can learn about maritime law, the law of the sea, and ocean management. Hofstra University Morris A. Dean School of Law has a study abroad program that's held in Havana, Cuba, where students can learn about comparative family law focusing on cuban family law and culture so if you have a question about law school or what happens during school getting into school what happens afterwards we would love for you to be a part of our show once again our phone number is one one eight seven seven six seven two 7464 and we do have a call so we're going to go to past christianne and speak with lisa lisa thanks for calling in to in legal terms
7: Hey, uh, I've got a question for you. Our son just graduated from college, and what he wants to do is go into maritime law. There's only really like five schools in the U.S. that really, truly do that. Uh, Tulane is one of them. It's extremely competitive to get in, uh, especially for the LLM program. And what he's doing right now is he's basically taking a gap year Um He's prepping for his LSAT, has not taken it. Um, I'm just wondering, what is it like to try to apply to a law school abroad? He's looking at the ones in the Scandinavian countries because they do maritime law, maritime resource law. And how is that for trying to practice law in the U.S.?
2: Can I, can I just make a recommendation? One thing that, to think about is that, um, and we'll talk more about graduate law programs. Uh, I think it's better to have an American law degree to be able to take the bar an ABA accredited law degree take the bar in any state in the country there are graduate programs I did a graduate program in tax law for example uh, so you don't have to go to law school where that program is somebody could go here for example and then go to Tulane's LLM uh, program in maritime law to be spe- you know, specified so I would not get into the foreign market it's a little bit harder for those students to come back and practice law in the United States they have to uh, then uh, take another year as a foreign lawyer to get a degree in an ABA-accredited school to take the bar. So I, I would not recommend that. Uh,
7: uh, I have a question. Am I still online? You bet. Yeah. Um, I have a question. The, the, I, I, I understand your point. The thing is, for maritime, there's five schools. That's it. Okay. Roger Williams is kind of out of the question. It is extremely narrow and beyond competitive. Tulane is also. So you're kind of left with LSU, Miami, and Maine. And um, he has traveled abroad. He did junior year abroad kind of stuff. He, he's gone to a top 100 school. He wasn't way up there in graduate, but he did go to a 100 school. Uh, he's really thinking about he wants to study abroad. And um, I'm just wondering, how do you go about the process of applying for law school outside of the U.S.?
2: I think you just have to it 's very country to country some of those degrees are undergrad degrees too. a lot of a lot of countries have a law degree that is an undergrad degree ours is a doctoral level degree and again, I recommend you have to be in the United States if you want to practice in the united states you 've got to be a lawyer first before you can be a tax lawyer or a maritime lawyer or a patent lawyer so you know, I, I recommend him really think about that now he can do we, I, you want to talk about our summer abroad program because uh, Liz mentioned some other ones we do have some good ones.
3: Absolutely. We have a summer abroad program in Cambridge, England. It's six weeks. It's a wonderful summer experience. We are in a consortium with the University of Tennessee, Nebraska, and Arkansas. So our professors teach alongside their professors, and then we also have to British professors who are on summer faculty, um, and it's, it's a fantastic summer abroad experience. Some of our students also go abroad with other law schools, so if they are interested in studying in a different country, um, we've helped students go there through other programs. Thank you, Lisa. We
1: appreciate you calling in. We have another call. and if you would like to have a, ask a question about attending law schools, we would love for you to participate with our guests, Dean Bradley and Professor Derek, both from the University of Mississippi School of Law. Our number is 1877672. 7464. Let's go to Madison and speak with Andrew. Andrew, thanks for calling in to In Legal Terms today. Go ahead.
0: Somebody called a a few minutes ago about um, being a a non-traditional student and uh, I was one of those. Uh, I finished law school in 1998 in Louisiana at LSU and I went to school at age 34 and finished at thirty seven and a half and um it didn't i didn't have a great experience uh, there it was tough because i had little children and a very busy wife but uh, somebody recently told me that you know to go as a non-traditional student later in life there are a whole lot of things that have to go exactly right after you finish law school and uh, we chuckled about that because um it, it certainly was applicable to uh, what I found after law school. So I wouldn't have done it again, thinking back on it all. I mean, I've worked in policy, in environmental policy, but um, the law school experience as an older student was uh, pretty terrible. So that's my comment.
4: I think it can be a a big challenge, um, especially if you've got other commitments uh, outside of the academy. Uh, one thing that's very different now from when uh, you and I were in law school at about the same time—we um, really work hard to support our students. Um, we have a, a dedicated assistant dean for student affairs. That that position did not really exist when I was in school. So we're we're paying attention to wellness of our students um, and really do try to be a supportive place. Uh, so I think I think we're getting better at doing that.
0: Yeah, well, LSU so pretty much left you twisting the wind if you weren't in the top ten of the class. So you had to make it up on your own right. as far as employment and connections, all that kind of stuff. So I, I hope law schools, including that one, do a lot better job these days.
2: I think they definitely do. It's a kinder and gentler law school. There's no mm-hmm. question about that. It's still The work is still hard. The academics are still hard. But we try to make the environment better. We, we all want to talk a little bit about um, some of the organizations that support non-traditional students. I know there at least one.
3: Absolutely. Um, and it's one that I'm proud to be a part of. Um, the Bessie Young Council um, started about three years ago, and it's a group of law school alums that came together specifically to support non-traditional students so they come to campus twice a year for mentoring opportunities they have a big mentoring conference in the spring and this is open to all students Um, but the mission of the organization is to support non-traditional students through these mentoring opportunities as well as scholarships
2: well, that's great. You mentioned scholarships. Let's talk a little bit about that because I know people out there, we don't have a, a lot of time left in this segment, but how do I pay for law school?
3: Well, one of the great things about our law school is that it's a fantastic value and very affordable. Um, there are all different ways of paying for it. The vast majority of our students are on financial aid and scholarship some combination of the two Um, so we consider our applicants for every scholarship we have available with their application there is nothing they have to do in addition to applying Um, and then of course the financial aid process is similar to out of the undergrad process, you fill out a FAFSA. It's need-based, and you can borrow money uh, up to the cost of attendance. Well,
2: that's great. I, I, I've always, you know, I've been impressed with the affordability. We're regularly ranked as one of the most affordable law schools in the country, and that makes a difference for someone applying uh, to think about the kind of debt load they may have. Um, when you award, when the admissions committee looks to awarding scholarships, what, what kind of factors do they look to?
4: I think we're always probably, again, starting with those, those numbers. So our, our scholarships are largely merit-based. Um, but we're also looking, again, to, to achieve the most diverse group of students we can assemble. Um, so I, I would go back to Dean Bradley's assessment of the whole file review. We're looking at everything that a person can bring to our class. And that's going to influence the, the, the scholarship amount.
2: It's so important. I have a daughter who just started college uh, this year. So, you know, we've been through that process. And uh, I know every parent out there and everybody who's thinking about paying is is thinking about those things. But, you know, I I know our committee does a great job with holistic review, and and that's really important. I know, Liz, I know we have to take a break soon. Am I cutting into our time?
1: No. Well, let's go ahead and take a break, and we'll move on. I just sent you an email. We'll, we'll talk about it when we get back. But we'd love for our listeners to call in with questions, 1-877-MPB-RING. That's one 1-877- 877 you could also send us an email legalterms at mpbonline.org to ask a question of Dean Bradley and Professor Derek from the University of Mississippi School of Law about law schools. We want to remind our listeners that today is a special day around the globe and here at MPB we'll tell you what's being celebrated today when we come back this is In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio
4: ever tell you of the price of something and it sounds so high you think eh, maybe I'll try it myself some jobs just aren't that difficult and yes you can do it if you want to find out how to do those things listen to fix it 101 podcast everywhere
1: thank you for being a part of in legal terms if you've missed any of our program you can listen to the whole show in legal terms dot mpbonline.org or if you have someone you think is a, thinking about law school and who might benefit from hearing the show forward on our website it's also available on the MPB public media app as are all our local shows and I am Liz Gill here with Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law and today is Giving Tuesday it's a global generosity movement created in 2012 as a simple Idea: a day encouraging people to do good, and we'd like to encourage you to do good by supporting MPB. Our website is mpbonline.org has a support button at the top of the page and the link lists lots of ways you could support MPB and its mission to serve the state of Mississippi. We're talking with Bet Bradley, Assistant Dean for Admissions and Scholarship at the University of Mississippi School of Law and also with Professor Jason Derrick, Chair of the Admissions Committee at the University of Mississippi School of Law. Dean Bradley, I'm sure the University of Mississippi would welcome some contributions today. How could someone support
3: a UM law? Absolutely. We would love some contributions, and our students would, too, speaking of scholarships, (laughs) because that's what they go to. Um, So you can go to our website, which is law.olmiss.edu, and there is an alumni and giving tab at the top of the at uh, top of the website and that'll direct you to how you can contrib- can contribute to our law school
2: and that'd be great because it would help a student uh, in their career and you know we, we did have an email before we start talking about careers what what uh, we have an email from someone who's been uh, in the legal field for 20 years so he's got work experience but he only has a uh, Uh, associate's degree not a bachelor's degree wants to know if he could take the LSAT and go to law school Um, and would you talk a little bit about that
3: sure so the bachelor's degree is required Um, again that's a requirement from the American Bar Association which is our accreditor Um, so unless you are a three plus three student at a school we kind of talked about those types of programs earlier on the show Um, you do have to have that bachelor's degree
2: and i guess there are some schools uh, there's a school in tennessee for example and schools in california that are state accredited where you could sit for the bar and, and that i think would be specific for those states, I know, we talked about Kim Kardashian as is, is studying to be a lawyer without going to law school, and so California allows you to do that. So, you know, but in Mississippi, you got to graduate from an ABA accredited school.
1: Dean Bradley, if I can interject on Money Talks, the show that's heard previously to previous to this at nine a.m. on Tuesdays, we've recently had some individuals from the Complete to Compete. Uh, program that was uh, initiated by Governor Phil Bryant, where individuals who haven 't completed a degree they assess what college credits they have and try to help them with what uh, maybe a university studies degree or finding out what is needed to achieve a bachelor's so uh, we can mention that to our uh, person who emailed and let them um, maybe listen to that money talk show or contact the complete to compete uh, agency
3: yes that's a great suggestion liz and that's for students like you said who have met the hour requirement for a bachelor's degree, which is typically 120 hours, but they may not have met the requirement for a particular major, Um, but that they do put all of those classes together and earn a bachelor's in general studies. So it's a great option. And we had several applicants last year who participated in that program.
2: Well, that's great to know. Uh, you know um, so now let's say somebody goes to law school. What type of career could they expect, and what does law school prepare them for?
3: Well, I think one of the major benefits about a law degree is how versatile it is. I would argue, uh, because I'm a lawyer, (laughs) that it's the most versatile professional degree you can get um, because many of our students do go out and, you know, practice traditionally at a law firm um, for a district attorney's office, a public defender's office, where they're in the courtroom and um, litigating, but many of our students go on to do things in the business sector, the healthcare sector, athletics compliance, all types of industries where... Passing the bar exam may not be required, but the law degree is a huge strength and benefit um, in getting the job. So it just opens you up to lots of different um, opportunities.
2: Well, Professor Derrick, what are my employment prospects then, and, and how do I get help getting a job?
4: Well, I think it was Andrew who sort of mentioned that he felt like he was sort of left a twist in the wind. Um, And uh, I pointed out that we're working to support our students not only while they're in school, but we have a dedicated office here of career services, um, and their, their job is to find jobs for our students. Um, and i think we have a really good employment rate within a few months of graduation um, and we're always working to make it better but uh, our professionals in that office actually walk with the students starting during their first semester of school uh, to prepare them to 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 find the kind of job that they want to have with their degree and as as dean bradley pointed out those range um, all over the place
2: so you're in law school for three years uh, and you know, can you can you get jobs okay. while you're in law school or in summers and things like that?
4: Typically, are our, our students do work during the summer. Um, we we try to discourage our students from working while they're in school because law school is is hard Uh, but usually that first summer students find an employment opportunity either through the school as an externship or an internship or with a firm or a solo practitioner or a corporation Um, so yeah the the work experience begins pretty quickly and we try to have our students ready to do that when they walk out the door after that first year
3: and in addition to the summer opportunities um, we really encourage students to take advantage of our clinics and i know our clinical faculty have been on the show before but our clinics our externship program summer opportunities skills classes those are all huge pieces of our program because they provide students with the skills they need to go out and practice. So, skills training and practical experience is something that we really emphasize while they're in law school.
2: Well, you know, we had a caller about talking about maritime law before, and one uh, an area that's kind of related to that that we have an LLM program in, which is a graduate law program. Uh, after you finish your JD, you get you can go to an LLM, and aviation and space law. that's a that's a real growing area do they apply to you when they apply to, to to for admission to the air and space program
3: it is a separate admissions process because the requirements are a little bit different um and so we have Uh, co-directors of our center for air and space law they review the applications they're the ones doing that holistic file review for these applicants Um, but we we support them and assist them in the process so the process is similar from the student standpoint going through the law school admissions council to apply Um, But the experts in this field are are the ones reviewing the files and admitting the students.
1: Thank you so much, Dean Bradley and Professor Derek, for being on our show today. Thank you for having us, Liz. Liz. That's going to wrap us up for today's In Legal Terms. We thank Java Chapman and Michelle McAdoo and Jay White for helping us out here in Jackson and for Professor Gershon, who hosts from the University of Mississippi School of Law in Oxford. I'm Liz Gill. Up next is our Tuesday Southern Remedy show, Relatively Speaking. We want to remind everyone it is Giving Tuesday, so if you value the programming, if you feel like we are doing good in the world, we would like your support at mpbonline.org click support at the top of the page then share with your friends on hashtag giving tuesday. and we hope you'll join us next tuesday at 10 a.m for in legal terms on mpb think radio
0: this is an mpb think radio podcast